Please turn your Bible to James chapter 1, verse 22 to 27. Today we are going to continue to study the book of James. In our previous sermon on the book of James, we emphasized the need to receive God's word with meekness. Meekness is the way with which we receive the word, but it is not the end in itself. Meekness is like good soil. When the seed of God's word is sown, meekness provides the conditions for the seed to take root, sprout, and grow. However, when we sow the seed in the ground, we hope that it will not only take root, sprout, and grow, but also bear much fruit. Similarly, when God sows His Word in our hearts, He not only hopes that the Word will take root, sprout, and grow, but also desires that it will bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. That's why after James encouraged those believers facing trials and persecution to receive God's word with meekness, he does not stop there. Instead, he continues to exalt them not only to be hearers, but also to be doers of God's word, living out their faith in tangible ways. Today, may God continue to teach us through James chapter 1, verse 22 to 27, enabling us to be doers of His Word and bear abundant fruit in our lives. Now, I will read this passage in English first and then in Chinese. Please listen to God's own Word. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hero of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearers who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In Chinese, 只是你们要行道,不要单单听到,自己欺哄自己。因为听到而不行道的在神我们的父面前那清洁没有玷污的虔诚就是看顾在患难中的孤儿寡妇并且保守自己不沾染世俗。May God bless the preaching of His Word. I'm going to divide this passage into two parts. 
The first part is verse 22 to 25. It tells us that God wants us to be doers of his word. The second part is verse 26 to 27. It focuses on three specific ways of doing God's word. Let's start from the first part, be doers of God's word. In verse 22, Sam says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Here, Sam says that if a person only hears the word but does not put it into practice, he is deceiving himself. No one likes to be deceived, right? And when others deceive us, we will have pain, shame, and anger. However, due to the work of sin within us, we may often deceive ourselves. In self-deception, uh, we might not have the same pain, shame, and anger as when we are deceived by others. We may not even realize our self-deception, or when we do, we might find many excuses for it. So faced with deceptions from ourselves and others, we become people of double standards. When we are deceived by others, we take it very seriously. But when it comes to our self-deception, we may downplay its significance. Therefore, it is crucial to have a correct and objective understanding of self-deception. The harm caused by self-deception is often not less than that of deception by others. Among various forms of self-deception, the most dangerous one lies in self-deception about one's spiritual condition before God. Today, the greatest self-deception among non-believers is the denial of the existence of God. As the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But as we open our eyes to see this beautifully created universe, it is self-deception to say there is no God. And among believers, a common form of self-deception is what James mentions here, thinking that one can merely hear the word without putting it into practice. To help his audience understand the uh, self-deception of merely hearing the word without doing it, James gives us a metaphor. He says, For if anyone is a hero of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The word looks used by James here indicates careful examination, not a hasty or superficial glance. It's important to know that ancient mirrors differ, differ from the smooth glass surfaces we use today. They are polished metal surfaces. Therefore, when a person looks into such a mirror, they didn't instantly see clearly their reflection and the areas needing improvement as we do today. They need to spend a considerable amount of time to look at their image in the mirror and to identify areas for improvement. However, James tells us that if a person only hears the word without doing it, it's like someone carefully examining their reflection in the mirror, recognizing areas that need adjustment, but then walking away without doing anything. 
Moreover, very soon they forget the detailed image they observed. This is highly unreasonable. The purpose of spending time in front of a mirror is to identify areas for improvement and then take actions to improve them. For instance, if you notice a smudge of spaghetti sauce on your face after lunch, you wouldn't ignore it and walk away, right? You would immediately wipe it off, wash your face, and then check the mirror again to ensure no trace of spaghetti sauce remains. Similarly, the purpose of spending time hearing God's word should not be just to listen, but to understand God's word and then put it into action. Therefore, when someone only hears the word but does not do it, they fall into self-deception. This self-deception suggests that pleasing God only requires hearing the word without the need to do anything accordingly. It's similar to tell someone that just looking in the mirror without making any adjustments ensures a clean face. This is a dangerously misleading lie. So to further help us to uh, see through this lie, James gives a contrast in verse 25. He says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and the perseverance, being no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In this verse, James describes a person who, after carefully studying the perfect law and doing so constantly, does not forget what he has seen and heard, but puts it into action. Such a person does not deceive themselves. Rather, they will receive blessing and favor from God because of their doing of God's word. Therefore, acceptance and blessing before God are not for those who only hear the word, but for those who, after hearing, also act upon it. Here we also see that the failure of those who only hear lies in their forgetfulness after hearing. Let's consider the story now. A father has two sons. One day, the father asked one son to put the dishes into the dishwasher. The son quickly agrees, but instead of immediately doing it, he goes off to play. When the father returns, the son has completely forgotten about those dishes. The father blames him, and the son regrets on it, promising to do it this time. However, when the father leaves again, the son goes back to playing, forgetting once again. The other son, though also tempted to play, keeps his father's words in his heart. He cannot enjoy playing until he fulfills his father's word, so he puts the dishes into the dishwasher. Which son do you think please the father? Of course, it's the one who keeps the Father's word in his heart and acts upon them. Therefore, children, as you learn God's word and try to do his word from a young age, not only will your parents be pleased, but also, you know, more importantly, our Heavenly Father God himself will delight in, doing, uh, in your doing of his word. So here, we need to ask a question. What does James mean by the perfect law, the law of liberty? When we mention law, our initial association is likely with the Old Testament Mosaic law. 
In the time of Jesus Christ, for Jewish people, the law did indeed refer to Old Testament Mosaic law, and the Jews often regarded the Mosaic law as perfect. However, we cannot simply assume that James is referring narrowly to the Mosaic law. This is evident because the law mentioned here is clearly related to the truth James discussed earlier, the gospel. Additionally, James approaches the law from a New Testament perspective. In other words, James views the law through Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law. Therefore, this perfect law doesn't only mean the Mosaic law, but rather means the Mosaic law reinterpreted from the perspective of the New Testament. This is why James not only calls it a perfect law, but also describes it as the law of liberty. Although the Mosaic law is considered perfect, the Israelites of the Old Old Testament, without the renewal of the gospel in their hearts and the assistance of the Holy Spirit, have no ability to observe this law. Consequently, for them, the law did not bring freedom, but rather condemned them and made them slaves of the law. This is why Ezekiel in his prophecy speaks of what God will accomplish in the future under the new covenant like this. And I will give you a new heart and the new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In the new comment, God not only fulfills the law through Jesus Christ, but also gives his people a new heart and the Holy Spirit enabling them to obey his law. Therefore, in the new covenant, God's law is not only perfect, but also liberating. Dear brothers and sisters, today the law we are called to follow is not a burden for us, but a means to liberty. God has written his law in our hearts, and through the Holy Spirit, God helps us to obey his law in love rather than in fear. When we do so, James tells us that God will surely bless us. Someone vividly portrays the image of a person who follows God's word being blessed by God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Brothers and sisters, may each one of us become like the tree in someone, constantly bearing fruit by doing God's word. Don't just be hearers only, but be doers of God's word. Glorify God with our practical deeds. After commanding his audience to be doers of God's word, James immediately shows them three specific ways to do God's word. Now, let's move on to the second part of this passage. Three ways of doing God's word. In James verse, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The first specific way of doing God's word for, like James gives for believers is to control our tongues. To illustrate this point, James uses the imagery of bridling a horse. A bridle and a bait in a horse's mouth are tools 
used by riders to control the horse. Many years ago, when I was still in China, I took a trip to Inner Mongolia. There, many people raise horses, and they offer horse riding services for tourists. During my visit, I had my first experience of riding a horse. The horse I rode was a fast runner. Whenever I felt that its speed was too fast, I would pull on the bridle. Immediately, it would slow down the horse's pace. Pulling on the bridle also directed the horse according to the direction I wanted to go. This experience made me realize that a bridle can control both the speed and the direction of a horse. In the previous sermon, we mentioned that when we listen to God's word, we need to speak slowly, meaning that we need to learn to control the speed of our speech. Today, through the imagery of bridle, we understand that what we need to control is not only the speed of our speech, but also the direction of our speech. That is the goal we aim to achieve through our words. So, generally speaking, what is the goal of our speech? I think the teachings of Paul in the book of Ephesians can help us learn a general principle regarding the goal of our speech. In Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine, Paul says, "Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up." As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Here, Paul points out a crucial principle regarding the goal of our speech: to build up others, to give grace to others. Therefore, when we try to control our tongues, we should make building up others and giving grace to others our goal of our speech. In doing that. We need to learn to control our tongues and refrain from speaking destructive words, which would undermine our other people's faith or bring damage to relationships. For example, if a person does not learn to control his tongue, this person is deceiving himself, and his supposed religion is worthless. Here, worthless means having no value. And this term is often used in the Bible to describe the falsehood and the worthlessness of idols. In other words, for James, if a believer does not know how to control his tongue, his religious devotion is no different from idol worship. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let us learn to control our tongues in our families, in the church, in our workplace, on the internet. Everywhere, let us speak slowly and make. Building up others and giving grace to others—the goal of our speech. For James, this is the first thing we should do in our doing of God's word. Next, in verse 27, James provides the second specific way of doing God's word. He says, "Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction." In ancient society, without welfare、uh, systems, the husband was the economic pillar of a family. Once the husband died, widows were unable to earn a living to support the family. Therefore, widows and orphans required special assistance. In the Old Testament, God repeatedly emphasized that the Israelites should pay special attention to widows and orphans. 
Psalm 68, verse 5 says that, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. As God's people, a concrete manifestation of doing God's word is to imitate God's own behavior. Therefore, caring for orphans and widows in their affliction becomes a specific expression of living for believers in accordance with God's ways. For us today, this remains a practical application of God's word. Moreover, the assistance provided by the church is not limited to orphans and widows. It extends to various, uh, various other vulner uh, vulnerable groups. Therefore, churches often have mercy ministries, providing assistance to other people in need, both within and outside the church community. Additionally, we should not neglect our personal responsibility before God, despite the existence of mercy ministries in the church. Each one of us needs to maintain an open and helpful attitude, so that when we encounter those in need, we respond according to God's word. Dear brothers and sisters, we live in a society today where individualism is prevalent. People often focus all their attention on themselves and their families, considering it's the right thing to do. However, we need to understand that the Bible does not endorse such a lifestyle. The Bible teaches us not only to look out for our interests, but also for the interests of others. We are called to love our neighbors, help those in need, and be sought and light to glorify God. So let's become a light in the darkness of our community. Be prepared so that when our neighbors are in need, we can offer timely and appropriate help, bring glory to God in the place where we are. In the end of verse 27, James provides the third specific, uh, specific way of doing God's word, which is to keep oneself unstained from the world. Douglas Moon, in his commentary on the book of James, explains the term word here. He says, The word is a common biblical expression used to refer to the impairs worldview and lifestyle that alienate people from God. It is a system opposed to the order of the kingdom of heaven. Here we see that the world separates people from God and opposes God's order. Therefore, the Apostle John also mentions in his letter to the church, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The evil of the world lies in its desire to divert our love that uh, diverts the love that people should give to God, to itself, leading them to worship created things rather than the Creator. Therefore, when James urges us not to be stained by the world, he is encouraging us to prioritize our love for God in our, in our lives and to view the world correctly under our relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, Today, we live in a highly secular society where the world presents numerous attractive things for people to love and to pursue. As God's people, we need to be especially watchful in such a society. While we are in the world, we do not belong to the world. Though we temperate the well in this world, it is not our eternal home. 
Our God has prepared a holy city with foundations for us. One day, this world and its desires will pass away, but those who follow God's word in this life will endure forever. When we hold such a love for God and hope for the future, we can keep ourselves from being stained by this world, and we will become witnesses for God in this generation. While everyone else pursues the promised happiness of this world, we strive to know and worship God. While others hope for a better world, we understand that God will judge this world. The current occurrences of pandemics, famines, and wars are signs of God's impending judgment of this world. As people feel uneasy in this turbulent world, we have an inner peace that the world cannot take away. Because we know that the kingdom God will give us is an unshakable kingdom. Living with such faith and hope, we become light in this dark world, and God's glory will send forth through us into the darkness. Up to this point, we have seen the three specific ways of doing God's work commanded by James controlling our tongues, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, and remaining unstained from the world. In doing so, James gives us examples of how a believer should embody their faith after hearing God's word. But as we are trying to apply God's word to our lives, we may have two questions in our mind. First, what will happen to those who only hear God's word but does not do anything accordingly? Second, what if we cannot do all the word we hear? To answer the first question, we need to look at how Jesus addressed this situation. In the Gospel of Matthew, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and then rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here we see that Jesus takes the act of following God's word as crucial, and he emphasizes that he will personally execute judgment among believers in the future. If a person, after hearing the teachings, fails to engage in any actions in accordance with the teachings, Jesus will say that he does not know them when they meet in the future. In other words, faith without corresponding actions is deemed as false and unable to bring salvation. For the second question, what if we cannot do all the word we hear? We also need to look for answers in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we know that we have been born again, having new lives in Christ. We have ears to hear and a willing heart to obey and the help from the Holy Spirit. However, 
due to the influence of indwelling sin, we still cannot completely follow God's word. We will face temptations, and we will still fail sometimes. It's important to know that this failure doesn't mean persistently remaining in a particular sin, but being occasionally overcome by sin. Moreover, even with our best efforts, we may find ourselves unable to fulfill all the requirements of God's word. In such times, we need to come to the foot of the cross, seeking comfort and assistance from Jesus Christ. We need to understand that Christ. Hanging on the cross is not only for our forgiveness, but also for our righteousness. God has graciously given the righteousness of Christ to those who, through faith, are united with Christ. As we strive to follow God's way, what brings us comfort and allows us to boast is not our own good deeds or our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus had fulfilled God's perfect law in His life and death. He is the righteousness of God. This righteousness of Jesus Christ has been given to us and will be with us forever. Therefore, let us say to Jesus Christ, "Thank you, Jesus, for standing in our place, fully obeying God's law, and giving us Your righteousness." Thank you, Jesus. Today. Maybe there are some people here among us who are seeking to know God, but you do not know how to start your relationship with God. The Bible tells us that it is our sin that separates us from God. Each one of us has failed to obey God's law. We all fall short of God's glory and face the impending judgment of God's wrath. As we Uh, this is the most terrifying,、uh, terrifying news for sinners like you and me. But here is the good news: as we mentioned just now, Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and He will give His righteousness to those who put their trust in Him. So, friends, repent from your sins, put your trust in Jesus Christ. You will receive forgiveness and righteousness from Jesus, which will help you reconcile with God and save you from His judgment. Jesus is the only way to God, so come to Jesus for your salvation. Finally, during my preparation of this sermon, as I meditated on the message and my life, the first thing that came into my mind is gratitude. Fengzhou and I. We are very grateful because since last December we joined Grace Church, we have witnessed that all of you, Grace Church people, you have been doers of God's word. You not only eagerly desire to hear God's word, even when it is preached by a man who speaks English with a Chinese accent, <laughs> but also after hearing it, eagerly to live it out in your lives. The example of your lives inspire our faith, love, and hope. So thank you, Grace Church. As we are about to leave for China for months, we have already started to miss you in our hearts, and we will continue to pray for you, asking God to preserve your faith and obedience in Him. May God continue to use you in every way to be a wonderful testimony for Him through your good deeds in Christ. Let's pray, dear Heavenly Father.
Thank you for revealing your will to us through your word and giving us a willing heart through your Holy Spirit to be doers of your word. Please continue to help us love your word and living it out in our lives that your glory may send forth through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.